Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work, we are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. And so today, um, you know, we got kind of a bit of a, 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 of a, of a preaching whiplash, if you will. Last week, we began a new series uh, on the preeminence of God in all things, and then we're taking a pause. And for the next two weeks, we're going to finish up uh, the book of Daniel. And so um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Daniel chapter 10. If you've got your app, you can do that, whatever. We also have these discipleship guides that will let you know where we're going to be this week and next, um, because last week we just kind of, we wanted to look at the whole story of God, because our hope here at Mercy Fellowship is that you're reading God's Word, that you have an intentional plan for reading God's Word, and as you began your year, we hope that you are going to kind of see the overarching story of God of creation, fall, redemption in Jesus Christ, and restoration in His return. And so now we're kind of kind of heading back in. We want to get some unfinished business from last year accomplished in working through uh, the book of Daniel. And so for some of us, right, when we hear uh, the book of Daniel, if you have a church background, a couple images come to mind, right? You've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, in the furnace. Uh, you've got Daniel in the lion's den. And then kind of like, hey, I think when I was up late at night flipping channels uh, and I don't have cable, so I ended up on one of those weird... Christian networks, some guy was talking about the back half of Daniel and about how helicopters are the mark of the beast, uh, right? And so we want to kind of demystify uh, a little bit uh, of that. And the second half of Daniel really is s s some pretty fantastic visions where God peels back the curtain of what he's doing in history to reveal some spiritual realities that are happening. And so rather than trying to track, you know, how close are we to the end, like, I can just tell you we're a day closer than yesterday, hooray, um, but um, we, we do get, have hope in a story that ends well. And so um, here we are in Daniel chapter 10, where in 10 and the next week in 11 and 12, I want us to be thinking about a, a few questions, because I do think they're questions that are applicable to each of us individually and, and corporately. Does God love me? Like, like, are you loved? Because certainly there's moments where it doesn't feel like it, right? Does, does, does God hear me? Right? Like, when there is that deep groaning, like, hey, I don't like the way things are going. I need, God, do you hear me? And then as well, God, like, maybe this is one that you've had recently. God, God, what are you doing? Like, like, what is God doing in the world? What is he accomplishing? And, and, then, and then maybe depending on, you know, how you're feeling about things on a given day or week, like, God, are you winning? And so these are some of the big questions that I think give us some good answers out of Daniel chapter 10 and then 11 and 12. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Daniel chapter 10, where that's what we're going to be today. I've broken this up into three parts, starting with verses 1 through 3. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a, world, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word, and he had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth. Nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. 
All right, so, so what's going on here? I, I want to give us, we, we have to have some historical context. So right away we're told, hey, this is the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So that means, hey, Babylon has come. Babylon has taken God's people from exile. Babylon has gone into the temple and desecrated it and taken all these kind of like temple artifacts out of it uh, and said, look, we are the great kings of the earth, not your God and king. And God promised that their reign in exile would only last 70 years. And so if you can think all the way back to, to fall, which was, you know, it just feels like a, a lifetime ago, right? That they're like, hey, there was this transition that happened where Babylon ultimately fell. And the Medes and Persians came in. And, and even though it was terrible and it was really a lot of upheaval, it gave great confidence because it's like, oh, God, you said you were going to lock this thing up in 70 years, and you actually did it. And so Daniel's now into a reign of another superpower. He's risen to some great authority that we've seen, but, but the year of this would be um, uh, BC, uh, 535 BC. This is just a couple of years before Daniel's death. Like, like this isn't the fourth quarter. This is the two-minute warning in the fourth quarter for Daniel. And he's endured, and he's, he wants to know, God, was it worth it? God, what's the legacy going to be here? God, what are you doing next? There's a real sense of urgency that Daniel has. And, and um, Daniel chapter 9 takes place about three years earlier, where Daniel again is in this place of angst, and he prays, and man, he gets, he gets an answer in an instant. It says before the words even left his lips, Daniel was getting an answer from, the God, from God. Well, here we see, Okay, I've, I'm hearing what's going on, Lord. Like, I think I see the truth of what's happening. But the truth, in this case, isn't setting me free. It's causing me some, some pain. It's, it says causes great conflict. This is what you'd call a hard truth. Right? This is, the, this is the, in the corporate world, they call it the come to Jesus meeting. Okay? We might call it that here, too, if you want to. It's, it's the like, hey, I just need to tell you what reality is. This is how close we're getting to the glide path here on this thing coming to, to a close, for Daniel in particular, of course. And so what's, what's the vision he's getting? What's, what, what's he trying, what's he bothered by? Well, again, the history matters because uh, in, in Ezra uh, and Nehemiah, Ezra chapter 1, it talks about this King Cyrus giving a decree to God's people. That, that he actually says, you are no longer in exile. You who've been taken from Babylon, hey, Persia's here. We're so nice and cuddly, the Persians, right? And we're like, hey, you're, you're free. Not just free to not be in exile anymore. You are free. Go back to Jerusalem. Go back to the holy city. Reestablish worship of your God. And you're like, hey, um, I could be told, hey, you know, Chris, go, go plant a church uh, in Hanalei Bay in Hawaii, which would be delightful. But if, like, there's no resources to do it, it ain't going to last very long, right? So what, what the Persian Christian nationalists did was pass a congressional law that funded the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Isn't that crazy? Government did something that, that was, like, actively trying to help the people of God. And so not only were you set free, but you could, you could come back and you would be given everything you needed fully being equipped for the mission of restoring worship of God for the people of God in the place that he has ordained. I mean, 
This is so exciting. Like, like for some of us, you're a little younger, so the reference won't, won't matter. But this is like the fall of the Berlin Wall. Like, People had been on the Soviet side in Germany for decades. Generations had come and gone. And then that wall fell. And it's like, if you were in East German, it's like, hey, come back to Berlin and we will fund you restoring it to its former glory, maybe even to something better. And so you're thinking, why is Daniel sad about this? Like, Daniel should be excited about this. Well, here's the problem. While some people were faithful to that, and that's where we get a book like Ezra and Nehemiah, where, where Nehemiah was kind of given this vision of like, oh, man, Jerusalem's not doing well. Maybe I'm going to be the guy that's going to help spearhead the rebuilding. I'm going to be the one that leads the mission. Ezra was the one who's like, I'm going to be the one who theologically is going to train God's people for right worship. And, and you can see that it kind of goes all right for a while. Some people do come. The mission begins, but it just seems so fragile. And there's all these false starts and replants. And it's just, it's just like, man, it's it's just kind of not all there. And part of it is, is because a lot of people have stayed in exile in Babylon voluntarily. Like, you've been pronounced free, but you're still living in slavery. You've been given a purpose to establish right worship, and yet instead you're answering with apathy. And for Daniel, who, who slugged it out, you know, showing up, getting ripped away from his family, having to, to deal with, with um, king after king, and, and, and being um, in, in these governments that are pagan and wicked, and yet he has to remain faithful. He's like, I've longed to see exile over. Why are the people of God not more excited? Why are they not more involved? In fact, like it does, like I said, go for a while, but then at one point, a few years later, Cyrus kind of like leaves the area for a while. He puts his son in charge, and, and three, four years into rebuilding, the son puts a different decree in and says, no, you cannot and will not rebuild your city. You cannot and will not worship your God. And... and and people are like, well, there's, the government told us not to, so we don't. And so they, they just, they stop. And you can actually see there's a 15-year period where there's no building in the city, no worship in the temple. This is what's breaking Daniel's heart, is God's people being given a decree of freedom and them not walking in it, but remaining in slavery. Right, we, can, we can do this in our Sin, right? If you're, if you're a Christian, it, it says you're free in Christ. You've been set free. You've been made new. You're no longer a slave to sin. And yet, some of us act like we're still enslaved. Not walking in the freedom that God has given us. And so in this case, Daniel, incredibly frustrated, his heart is broken. What are the people doing? They've been given freedom, but instead, I, I think it's something that happens with us at times. Because I want to be gracious to the people of God in this time and season because, I mean, they're in a culture just like we are. They're dealing with inside, you know, internal struggles. They're dealing with their own emotions and all that stuff. They're dealing with a culture and all these things. Like, okay, so let's be gracious and I'll act like, like I'd be the one that would like, you know, go and leave everything. They're like, well, no, no. I've been in Babylon for 70 years. 
Like the prophet Jeremiah told us to, to plant gardens, to build houses, to raise families. We did that. Our grandkids are here. And, and our grandkids, they're not even interested in the God that we talked about. They're full-on Babylonian, and they're still just processing what it means to be Persian now. See, I think sometimes we've been in exile so long that we forget what freedom looks like. And so we will willingly stay in, in an exile that is miserable, that we know, because there's comfort in what we know. Being indecisive is, is also a decision to just keep doing what you've always been doing, hope it gets better. Or to take a bold next step that could lead to greater freedom. But it's, a, but it's an unknown step. I don't know what's next. I, I know what this looks like. I know what this feels like. And I'm, I'm not, I don't love it, but I've, I've made peace with it. This is scary. This is challenging. And that's what God's people have been called, called to. And that is what is breaking Daniel's heart to where it says he fasted for three weeks. It says from meat and from wine. And so if you've been following along in the book of Daniel, you know in the chapter one, he's eaten just vegetables for a while and no wine. Well, apparently as he got older, he's like, I'm done with that diet. That was nuts. Give me a steak. And so and he's been like living in the royal court. He's like, All right, I'm going to enjoy the good things in life. But, but he comes to a place where he's like, I can't enjoy the good things in this world for a season because I'm worried about the condition of the people in the world. So he's like, it's not right to celebrate right now because I'm in mourning, I'm in grief. And so it's in this season, um, there's this little, little detail that I think is significant, um, and it's in verse 1, where Daniel, it says, Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. Again, if you've been following with us over the fall, you know this, but Daniel is, is his, it's his Hebrew name. It's, it's, we call it his Christian name. Like that's, that's what his parents named him. Belshazzar was the new identity that he was called into by the Babylonians. And so even though here he's in his 80s, he's in his 90s, it says Daniel, who is named Belshazzar. It's like you're still reminded of the truth, Daniel, that while you've been faithful, you're still in exile. That this fasting it's because he's like, hey, I endured through this. And now I want to see people get to have a better future and a better freedom than I had. And so what's interesting about what Daniel's um, doing, because I mean, maybe you're like, well, why didn't Daniel go? Okay, let's be honest. Daniel's in his 80s or 90s. Like Daniel ain't going to go from Babylon or whatever to, to Jerusalem. He's not going to be picking up a lot of big stones to build the wall, right? So what he's doing is he's praying for a work and a legacy that he's not going to get to participate in. And he's praying for a better future than what he's going to ever get to see. It's very much an others-focused, legacy-focused, outward-focused prayer that he has. And in this, he's going to be shown there's more going on than acts of government and the actions and affections of the people. See, I mean, I know I was like, hey, you know, here's these laws that, that promoted the building, then there's laws that don't. I want us to know that we cannot rely on laws and culture to uphold the glory of God. 
That God is big and glorious. And as we sang before, like there's one God over all. He doesn't need the laws of government to align with his because he will still be self-evident. He will still be glorious. It's, it's a great thing when they line up. It's enjoyable, but it's a shadow of a future kingdom. It's not something that's going to last. And so let's not be people who are so dependent on the favorability of the laws of the culture around us, thinking that somehow God's glory can be easily extinguished. Okay, let's move on. Because after he's given this, I don't want to say a vision, but he's given kind of the news of, of what's happening with his people. We see after a period of mourning, after a period of fasting, he's been praying for three weeks. He's like, God, I'd love an answer here. You gave me one back in chapter 9. Anytime you want to give me some like wisdom or direction on what's next. And here we are. Verses 4 through 9 says this. He says, On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris. I lifted up my eyes and I looked, behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from a faz around his waist. His body was like Boreal, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleaming of burnished bronze, the sounds of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them. And they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed. Or another translation, my splendor was changed to ruin. And I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. As I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Man, here's, here's Daniel. He's been f fasting for weeks. Um, it, it gives us the actual calendar date. So it tells us that this is around uh, the time of the Passover festival, which is a festival celebrating God with a mighty hand, taking his people out of slavery in Egypt, leading them into the wilderness for a season, but then ultimately the promised land. That's what's going on. Like Daniel's aware of this festival and yet he's still not feasting, he's fasting. And, and it says he's walking in the Tigris River, so he's uh, along the Tigris River, so he's several miles away um, from Babylon there, but kind of in modern-day Iraq, if you will. Uh, and then he's traveling, and of course, by this point, he's a, he's a high government official, 80s and 90 years old, and so he's got a crew around him. He's got a bit of an entourage. And as he's traveling, he's going along the river, like across the other side of the river is this amazing like, like figure that shows up. This is a, a supernatural thing happens. And what's interesting about this, kind of like Paul as he's traveling to Damascus, there's, there's other people with Daniel. And it says that Daniel, that the other people didn't see the vision. It doesn't mean they didn't see the dude. So they see this, you know, angelic being. We'll talk about maybe who this is in a moment. And, and they see all this, and their immediate reaction is, run, right? I, we are out. We're like, like I'm, we did not sign up for this. They are gone. It doesn't say why Daniel didn't also run. I'm just guessing, 90 years old, Daniel ain't running so much anymore. Maybe Daniel's like, my best plan, duck and cover, right? So here he is. 
This figure shows up, and, and maybe you're wondering, like, hey, who, who is this? This, is, this is, sounds fantastical. Well, there's a few different theological options. Different commentators see it differently. So I'll just lay them out very, very briefly. Uh, it could be an angel, okay, messenger from God. It could be what's called an, a theophany, which is an appearance of God. It could be what's called a Christophany, which is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. Meaning Jesus showing up in the Old Testament before he shows up in the first advent at Christmas. And so those are, those are some options. Um, you could pick one if you want. Uh, my, my personal belief is that this is either Jesus showing up pre-incarnate, and I got some reasons for that, or it's likely uh, it could be the angel Gabriel. I, either way, I think we can rest in the idea that this is a message from God. This is like what, a bit of a reaction to what it means to be in the presence of God or God's messengers. Uh, the, the reason, real quick, I think it's Jesus, uh, perhaps, is, is this looks a lot like the same description of the pre-incarnate Christ in Ezekiel 126. It also looks like the vision John was given in Revelation 1, 12 through 15. There's just very, a lot of similarities. However, as well, though, you see there's also similarities in how people react and, and, and what the experience that people have to Luke chapter 2. When the shepherds are out in the fields, right, and the angel shows up and appears. Right? He's, he, it says he, he, you know, he spoke like a multitude. It's like, man, this is terrific noise. Um, like I said, either way, it's a messenger. But in this case, Daniel does interact with him differently than, than other angels or visions he has. Three times in this section, we'll see that he will call him Lord. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So when God is made visible, it's Jesus. But what we do know is that it was a terrifying thing to be a part of. That it was incredibly in, intense. That, like I said, those guys respond with fear. They can't handle being in the presence of greatness. Daniel's left alone in this encounter with this supernatural being. And, and what I do appreciate Daniel's response, and I think it's, it's one that all of us should have when we consider who God is and how glorious God is, is Daniel responds not with pride, but humility. Not with questioning, but with a posture of listening. And so, you got these details here of, of belts and eyes of lightning. And, but the big idea is first, as you see, it says he's wearing linen like a priest. This figure is holy. This figure is clean, set apart, representing all that is good and right and pure. And those are attributes of God or, or one of God's messengers. Second, you see this figure, there's an intensity in his eyes, a brilliant radiance in his face, torch-like eyes, bronze body, looking like lightning, you see oftentimes uh, coincides with the presence of God. And then it says his voice is like a multitude. That like, it says Daniel can like hear the sounds of the words, but the sound is so intense, he can't even pick out the words himself. So think like the teacher on Peanuts, right? Wah, 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 wah. Except like intense and glorious instead of like lame. So that, I mean, it's overwhelming. And so I think what's amazing about this is that Daniel's in this place where he's like, God, the political and cultural world is so jacked up. The people of God are not walking in faithfulness. 
I am overwhelmed by what is happening in the world. And, and as he's seeking an answer from God, the answer that he is given, while he's feeling overwhelmed about the world, is a vision of a God who's greater, is a vision that is overwhelmingly impressive. Should give him great confidence. And here he is, he's trembling. He says, no strength. He says he's nearly scared to death. Another way of saying that is that he's catatonic. He's knocked down, out for the count. And then I, I love this. Uh, this is Daniel's account of it. He says, um, I fell on my face, or rather back up uh, in verse 8, left alone. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed. I mean, what a way to describe yourself. Like, again, 80, 90 years old, he's like, normally I look pretty good. Like, like I don't know, I don't know, like, if, like is Harrison Ford going to play Daniel in the movie, right? Maybe Clint Eastwood. Do you want me to keep naming, like, old actor dudes? Is this getting uncomfortable for anybody else but me? Okay. He's like, no, normally I'm radiant. But it brought me to a place of just desolation, being fearfully changed. So what happens? He's brought low. Here's the... Here's the first response we get. Verses 10 through 21, last verses. Chop these up for a few minutes here. 10 through 21 says this. He's in deep sleep, face on the ground, brought low. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. So he's, he's gone from the ground to like, I'm just kind of up on my knees. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I've been sent to you. And when he'd spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God. Your words have been heard, and I've come because of your words. And the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes and another angel, came to me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. And I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for the days yet to come. When he'd spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and I was mute. And behold, one like the likeness of the children of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. And I said to him who stood there before me, Oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength reigns, remains within me. No breath is left in me. Again, when having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, Oh, man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you've strengthened me. He said, do you know why I've come to you? But now I return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. So what we're seeing here in chapter 10 is this process of Daniel hearing about what's happening in the world, 
having some understanding of what it means for the world and God's people, that leading him to a place of grief and fasting and whatnot, that crying out to God over a period of time, having to be patient, and then God showing up, either as Jesus or as an angel, giving him an answer. And what we're seeing is, is a real deep dive into what it was like to be in the presence of God or in the presence of God's messenger and how Daniel processed that and what it means for us. And then next week, we'll see 11 and 12, and that will be the, the whole vision that he's talking about. It's too much to try to do that in, in one sitting here because, man, there's some fantastical things that happen in the next couple chapters. And so here he is, and right away, Daniel's brought up, right? First thing this figure says, Daniel, man greatly loved. So, you're worried, I'm worried, we're worried. Like, God, do you love us? The answer in Jesus Christ is absolutely yes. You are loved by God. For Daniel here, he's, he's walked in faithfulness, but he's also walked in reliance. He has been someone incredibly reliant on the mercy and grace and provision and protection of God for his entire life. And you're like, man, shouldn't Daniel know by now? I mean, like, shouldn't the night in the lion's den where the mouths of lions were closed been enough for him to be like, I think God is okay with me? Sh shouldn't, like, being able to, like, see these massive transitions and upheavals happen at a global scale, and yet your position being protected, shouldn't that give you a hint that God is for you? And certainly... Three years earlier, in Daniel 9, he's prayed, and God answered instantly. And, and, and we saw that at the same time, still said, you are beloved. Well, maybe Daniel's like you and I, where we might need to hear more than just once that we're loved. That maybe because of sin in the world, maybe because of our sin, maybe because of the shame of what we've done, or the pain of what has been done to us, when we ask the question, am I loved, we come up with a very different answer. And so maybe what God is doing here is another kindness to Daniel, is another kindness for me, is another kindness for you to be reminded that in Christ you are deeply, deeply loved. That phrase greatly loved means precious you and I in Christ, are, we are precious in God's sight. That God pursues us. That even though, like, you're just, you're loved. And so, I know there's a lot here in this section, and a lot of it's, let's be frank, it's, a lot of it's really confusing. What, what do we do about Prince of Persia? What do we do about, like, I was delayed for a while? What do I do? Like, hey, I needed Michael's help for a bit. That, that's why, just for me, like, I kind of quite like, okay, was it, was it Jesus? Because I don't feel like Jesus is like, Michael, if I can use a little help over here, right? So maybe if it's Gabriel, it's like, hey, I could, I could, I could use some help, bro. Um, but there's this delay that happens. And I think there's something important in this delay. That it says here that this angel or, or Jesus or this messenger of God is engaged in a great conflict. And yet he says, I will come and reveal to you what is true and right about these spiritual realities that you cannot see and that you don't even really know are going on. 
And so he says, hey, I'm going to, the purpose of this, the reason I'm going to tell you this, Daniel, is so you can have vision, so you can have clarity, so you can have courage, so you can be built up. That God, God brings us low and brings us to places of humility, rightly so, like, like particularly when it's shown, hey, he's right, I'm God. We're not. And it's in those places of humility that God meets us. He says, let me be the one that builds you up. Let me be the one that brings you up, that lifts you out of that valley. So he says he raises Daniel up, just to basically kind of up on all fours for a second, right? Daniel can't even stand all the way. That God can and does restore that God is for us, that he's, he's orchestrating history for his glory. We'll talk more about that next week. And so as discouraged as you may be, as uh, whatever your circumstances are in this, this is God putting his hand on your shoulder and saying, no matter what is going on, you are greatly loved. And then, like, what do we do with this delay, though? I mean... The angel or Jesus, either way, right, responding to Daniel, he's been delayed 21 days. Well, it doesn't take three weeks to get from heaven to earth, okay? Right? And it wasn't like this messenger was like on the 405, forgot to like fill up his fast pass kind of deal. So he's like, dang it, I'm stuck in the normal lanes. I hate 405. I'm so glad I don't have to go down there very often, right? And, and when I do, I'm like, fine, I'll pay the 75 cents. I just want to go, right? Like, like, he's not stuck with tolls. He's not stuck in traffic. He didn't get sidetracked. But neither should we believe that somehow these things are too difficult for God and he just can't handle it. So he just had to wait till it was a good time. To... See, what we learn, I think, is, is five things about this delay. The, the, and I'll walk through them here in a moment, but I want us to remember that you and I, we are finite and we live linearly, right? I mean, your, your Facebook page might tell you what you looked like three years ago, but you don't look like that anymore, right? The passage of time happens for us. We experience history through the passage of time in just in our finite perspective, whereas God is infinite and God is eternal. He acts in time, but he's also outside of time. So while we experience a delay, that doesn't mean that God wasn't active. It doesn't mean that God wasn't at work. I mean, we saw in chapter 9, right? Like I said, right away, before Daniel even finished his prayer, he was getting an answer. So there must have been a reason for the delay. I've got a few of them right here that I think might be why there's a delay. Number one, it provides Daniel with the opportunity to more deeply engage with the suffering of his people. I mean, Daniel heard, hears about what's going on, and now he gets to go through a period of groaning, if you will, a period of, of longing, a period of, of God, I, I wish it wasn't like this. And sometimes, like, like, to be clear, Daniel's not harmed by this. It wasn't necessarily like an emergency for Daniel. So God's like, you can delay. And in that, I might build perseverance for you as opposed to immediately giving you deliverance from your circumstances. Okay. He's brought to a greater place of dependence. He's brought to a greater place of empathy. 
Number two, it reminds Daniel of what his relationship with God is. That God is God and Daniel's not. Right? You don't see Daniel praying, God, I prayed. Why didn't you answer me instantly? Like, like when Daniel gets that vision from across the river, he's not with his guys. He's like, it's about time. I ordered that message like three weeks ago. And it said delayed in federal way for like a week. And now it is after Christmas. And now it shows up and somebody's getting a puzzle. Right? That's, again, that's not how God works. No, Daniel in this is reminded who's in charge, who God is, and who we are. God says, I've come to give you a vision and understanding about things happening to you. And, and, and he just says, I want you to know you have no idea about my timing. I, have, I get hung up on this all the time, God's timing. Like, I know God's going to do something. I know change is coming. I know God's been good in the past. I know his character's the same today. I know there's promises for the future. And then I'm just like, so like an answer now would be good. And, and maybe I'm alone in that, but I think that's, that's where a lot of us are. Number three, it reveals God is engaged in more things than we can comprehend at any one point. So he says, hey, by the way, I was wrestling with the king of Persia. That's a euphemism for, for a spiritual enemy who's involved in the affairs of humanity. I mean, read a world history book and tell me there's not a lot of demons involved in what's going on in human conflict, in human suffering. He's saying there was a spiritual thing happening. That was my primary focus. Now, let's not get hung up here. I'm, I am not, never going to minimize the sovereignty of God, the omnipotence of God, the bigness of God. Nor should we think that somehow we don't matter, you don't matter, you're not important to God. But what he's saying here is, you might not be all that matters to God. And, and, and God is big. Like I said, like God's not like, well, I've only got a certain amount of capacity to handle things. So I had to check a few things off my to-do list before I could come and help you. But what he's doing is he's trying to reshift our posture to recognize, oh, oh my word, I've been worried about this issue. I've been worried about our church. I've been worried about our family. I've been worried about my job. I've been worried about our state. You know, like whatever it is for you. And God's like, no, that, that's great. I know what's going on. In fact, it says, I heard you from the moment you faithfully turned to me. I heard your cries. I've heard all of it. And I also want you to know, I'm doing like a billion more things in your life that you don't even know about. Now multiply that billion by the billions of people in the world. Multiply that by the size of the cosmos. That ain't a small God, that's a big God who's doing trillions upon trillions upon trillions of things all at once. But we're worried about what's going on right here. Or right here. Right here. That leads us to number four. Like I said, God hears us. He can and does hear us. He's active all the time, but he chooses to respond in his time. And in doing so, he's, he's completely and perfectly loving. Right? He says, he doesn't just say, hey, I've been hearing you, Daniel, lay off, man. He says, no, 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 fear not. You don't have to be afraid. You can have great confidence. You can have great courage because 
I have heard you from the beginning, from the first day you set your heart to understand and be humble. You have been heard. So if you're wrestling with, does God hear me? You have been heard and you are greatly loved. And so sometimes those delays, right, it's, it's cliche at times, but right, like, you know, answers to prayers are like, you know, yes, no, later, or maybe like, hey, good idea, but I've got something better. I've got something different. See, prayers orient our hearts towards the Lord, and yet God still meets us in our grief. See, Jesus, um, when he responds, um, he hears horrible news about one of his good friends, Lazarus, dying. And, and he didn't wait three weeks, but his disciples were like, hey, hey, uh, Lazarus is dying. Like, Jesus, if you get there quick, you could do like one of your miracle things, like, like water into wine, but like better, like, 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 like death into life. Can you do that one, Jesus? We really like that one. And it's like, hey, could, could you go like... We need you now, Jesus. Don't you, don't you know how urgent it is, Jesus? Don't you know we got a deadline here? Jesus, like, like, like he, he's fading quick. And if you read the accounts, what does it say Jesus did? Jesus was like, oh man, I didn't know that was going on. Hey guys, let, let, we got to go now. Jesus actually delayed. Not three weeks, but three days. And then he shows up. And he doesn't show up like, okay, you guys have been way too worked up about this. No, he's like, I know this season's been hard. I know that you've suffered loss. I know that there's pain. And while he enters into a house of weeping and a house of grief, a house of processing the pain and the loss of what's gone on, he weeps with them moments before he's going to restore. He's going he's gonna to bring his buddy Lazarus out of the tomb. He's going to bring life where there was death. That's what I love about our, our God who is for us, our God who hears us, our God who loves us. He doesn't rebuke them and being like, I'm here now, guys. Don't you think I'm going to sort this out? What, how faithless were you that you didn't think I could fix this? He's like, no, I know this is hard. I know this is painful. And my delay, I know you experienced it as a delay, but I knew the whole story. And I knew that life was still going to happen. And I also knew that this was going to end up having a magnifying effect of God's glory around the region in ways that healing Lazarus before he died would not have. See, God always sees the big picture. And, and he cares about our individual stories. And so he knows what to do and he knows that the story ends well. So I want us to, to look, look closely again at one of these verses here before we, we close. And, and it's right here in verse 19. Because like, hey, what, what's, okay, what's, what's the practical thing? What, what's the thing that we can take away from today? How, how should I respond to this word here? Verse 19, I think, just lays out this awesome progression of God talking about our identity, reminding us what he does, and then calling us to a new disposition and greater action. So in verse 19, he says this. 
O man greatly loved. I just want you to hear it one more time if you haven't gotten it yet. You are greatly loved. So you can fear not. Like the messenger knows that we're fearful. He knows Daniel's afraid. He, he, God knows we're afraid. He says, hey, I want you to know you're loved so you can fear not. Okay, all right, God, I know you'll work it out. I know it's going to happen. Whatever, whatever's going to be will be, Lord. What are you calling for me? Well, no, peace be with you. So you are loved. You don't have to fear. God's going to give us and gives us peace in Christ. Peace is wholeness. Peace is fullness. You have peace with God. You're no longer in conflict with him because of what Jesus Christ has done in our place, dying on the cross for our sins. That's what we remember at communion. Like, like the brutality of the cross, we remember, is what brings us peace. By his stripes, it says, we are healed. We are made whole. So whatever you're dealing with, whatever conflict you've got, you're loved. You don't have to be so afraid. And let me bring you peace. So that you can be what? Weak and timid? Terrified and inactive? Paralyzed in fear? No. It says... It's been echoed dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times throughout the Bible. Be strong. Be courageous. Be strong. Be courageous. See, I think sometimes we get hung up on that because we know how weak we are. We know how fearful we are. And so we think, okay, God will bless me when I'm strong and courageous. God is not happy with me when I'm weak and fearful. No, it's God meeting you in your weakness. It says his strength is made perfect in our weakness. It's God meeting you in your valleys of fear and God answering with, you're greatly loved. You don't have to be afraid. I'm giving you peace. Now go, be strong, be courageous. Whatever comes next, you don't have to be afraid. Because Daniel's like, God, I can't even talk to you. I've got no strength left. I'm at the end of myself. That is a great place to be. Because at the end of yourself, you can find yourself in great reliance in a God who in Jesus Christ says you are greatly loved. Fear not. Have peace. We can be strong and courageous as we continue to trust Jesus. Let's pray.